This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. Welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, here we are, Father Patrick. I always do, with guestsplaining episodes, I always do a really poor job of like, hey, everybody, it's Godsplaining. Actually, it's guestsplaining, as if that's like some sort of surprise, because like, you know, <laughs> people don't read the first word of like guestsplaining episode on the, on the thumbnail on either wherever, wherever you listen to your podcast. But <laughs> this is not just a normal Thursday episode surprise. It's guestsplaining. So Father Patrick and I are here with um, with a guest, Sister Diana Marie, um, who we have known for a good long time. Um, I'll let Sister Diana introduce herself rather than me making up. I, I learned the hard way not to introduce our guests because I make things up and then it's wrong and and that's not good. So Sister Diana Marie, welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks so much for being here with us. How you doing? How are you? Who are you? All of the above. I, <laughs> I'm very good. I'm very glad to be here with you all. It's nice to see both of you. It's been a long time. Um, I am a Hawthorne Dominican, one of your sisters, and uh, I got here the long way. So I grew up in Utah, was born and raised Mormon, came into the Catholic Church through uh, you all <laughs> in 2010, and then uh, very quickly after that, entered the convent. So it's about three years as a lay Catholic, and then I entered the convent. And um, my sisters and I provide free end-of-life care for people with uh, incurable cancer. So that's the only our only apostolate. And um, we do that in both of our homes here in New York and in Atlanta. So I'm at our mother house in Hawthorne, New York. So short That's version. great. Yeah, we, uh, Father Patrick, myself, you, we overlapped in DC, like when you you came into the church in ten, you said right, and then mm -hmm. Father Patrick and I entered the order in ten, and then we're in DC for a few years together. Um, I mean, not together. You weren't like a friar at the House of Studies, <laughs> but you know, in, I did spend too much time there. But yeah, no, I yeah, never I spent actually a lot of time there. The House of Studies. So. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Very yeah. Distinction. <laughs> yeah. So you you just mentioned very briefly your sort of. Um, yeah, conversions from Utah Mormon to DC Catholic to New York sister. It's, uh, I guess, yeah. Tell us a little bit about about that, about like your encounter with Christ, about your conversion, about yeah, just yeah. If you wouldn't say a few words about your conversion, maybe in a little more detail, that'd be interesting sure. for us. Um. Well. So I was raised Mormon um, or LDS. I don't think I'm supposed to say Mormon anymore. I'm out of the loop with that. Um, but <laughs> we moved to California. Was, I was in high school, though, and that was kind of uh, the end of really practicing Mormonism because I lost my whole community that I had been raised with. And I really I was like 15, I think, when I moved. So I was just starting to get into the point where the faith would have become my own. Um, but it really hadn't that much because I had so much support. I never had to question anything or kind of make it my own because it was just there. Everybody around me was Mormon. So moved to LA and kind of um, finished high school, uh, did not care for LA. So moved to Northern California for college as soon as I could, but bounced around from different denominations, but never really took it that seriously. I was Presbyterian for a while, went to non-denominational church for a little while. I went to, uh, I dabbled in Buddhism, thanks to some of my family members and some friends in college, um, yoga, 
I went to a Catholic mass once in college uh, for a research paper I had to write for a psychology of religion class. Uh, that was it. <laughs> and I wasn't impressed, I have to say. Sorry, but I wasn't. Um, <laughs> thought it was kind of weird. <laughs> um, but I did well on the paper, so that's fine. Uh, so it wasn't just, it just wasn't that important to me. And I was uh, pretty dismissive of Christians. I didn't have the best experiences with them in college. And after leaving the Mormon church and kind of going through some of those beliefs and um, I just sort of threw all of it out. I didn't sort of sort through and say, well, maybe this is true. Maybe this isn't. And um, I just was like, well, this is all nonsense and organized religion is nonsense and I'm done. So I can believe without a church, you know, it just is me and and God, whatever God might be, or um, just trying to be a good person. Uh, that's kind of got me through college and then graduate school. Um, but it doesn't actually help you with the really, really hard stuff. <laughs> and turns out you're you're not really that happy. <laughs> but you don't, I guess I didn't really know that because I just thought, well, if I get the right job, if I meet the right guy, um, then I'll be happy, right? So I'll just, I'll finish graduate school, then I'll get a job and then I'll be happy. Um, I'll quit this job and start a new one and then I'll be happy. Um, I'll stop dating people who don't want the same things as me and then I'll be happy. Um, but none of those things really, it's always in the future, right? There's like nothing now you can hold on to. So, um, but I just, it sort of took it all for granted, like that I was just not doing it right. So that's why I wasn't happy. Um, so I started seeing someone in DC who just, seemed like a really good guy, except for the fact that he was Catholic, which was kind of weird, but I was like, eh, all right. He was like, well, you don't have to believe everything the church teaches. I was like, oh, okay. Whew. Yeah. I like did an interview. It was like, you don't believe these things. Right. <laughs> and he was like, oh no, 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 no. Those are optional. I was like, oh good. Okay, good. We can date. Um, so not true by the way, that's was false. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let the record show. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, there's some, there's some big ones. <laughs> Um, but I, as we got more serious, I decided I should learn more about the Catholic church. And, uh, so started looking into it because he would never talk about it. It was like, well, this is my thing, but you don't worry about it. And I was like, well, I feel like I should, if we're <laughs> but, um, so that was a whole long process going back and forth with him. But one thing that happened was that I went to visit him in Italy because he was in the military stationed over there. And I, um, it was, I mean, it was a beautiful trip. I mean, it, it's not to love in Italy, like whether you're, <laughs> whether you're a Christian or not, it's just a spectacular country. The, the churches, the beauty of that, I don't think cannot touch you, even if you don't understand it. So uh, we went to St. Peter's and he went to park the car, uh, which takes forever in Rome. And I went to the Pietà, which I thought was beautiful. Um, I had seen it before. I went on a youth group trip with my Presbyterian youth group to St. Peter's, which is <laughs> very different sort of experience as a Presbyterian. Um, <laughs> I like the gift shop though. Um, but I went back to the statue and I just started bawling, um, which was unusual for me. I don't tend to just like burst into tears publicly. Um, and my boyfriend at the time was very confused by this. He was like, did something happen? Like, did a security guard yell at you in Italian? Like, what's going on? Um, and I couldn't explain it. All I could, like, eventually what finally came out was this is what love looks like. Like, that's what love made visible in stone looks like. And I have no idea what that means. And I have to say, it wasn't our Lord that caught my attention. It was Our Lady's face. 
Um, it was, she was just so uh, beautiful and calm while holding her dead child, which had to have been the most painful experience any parent can have. Um, and it was just captivating to me. And then I promptly, you know, blew off the tears as jet lag and not wanting to go home and didn't think about it again. Um, but eventually, later that year, I started to want to look into the church more and just understand the basic teachings more. But I didn't want to start RCA because I wasn't going to be Catholic. Um, so I emailed somebody who ended up being a Dominican friar, one of your brothers, uh, and just said, I just want a book. Could you help me out with that? You know, I'm not really interested in being Catholic, but, uh, and he, <laughs> he very zealously offered to not only give me book recommendations, but to meet with me, to invite me to the classes he was teaching at the parish and to, uh, invite me to join RCIA, which he said, I didn't have, didn't mean I had to become Catholic. It was just to answer questions. So, uh, pretty much that just like changed everything that that meeting and um well meeting you all so um it was very unexpected and relatively quick that i started seeing that there was something here that i wanted and um i was sort of stunned by a, a couple of propositions the first was this <laughs> so you all you all know who it is so you know how uh how <laughs> intense he can be but very sincere <laughs> And the first time I met him, he's like, you could be a saint. And I thought, this guy is crazy. He's so nice, but he's definitely delusional. Um, and I knew he meant it, but I was like, he does not know me at all. And I don't really even know what that means. Um, the, the Trinitarian theology. So the Mormon idea of the Trinity is very different. And he um, he just let me pepper him with questions for like like two hours, I think. And so when he spoke about the Trinity, I was, uh, I just thought that was the most beautiful thing I had ever heard in my entire life. And it, it was one of the first things that I didn't need to understand it to know that it was just beautiful and there was something true there. Um, so I wanted to know more about that. And then, um, and then the passion, he's the first person ever spoke to me about the passion of Christ, about what that meant. Um, and the fact that I was already loved and, I didn't believe that yet, but I, um, I really, really wanted to, I just thought that idea that I didn't have to earn the thing I wanted most was, uh, extremely appealing. It sounded too good to be true. So, um, so it sort of just kept meeting with him and started our CIA. And then my boyfriend broke up with me in December and, of uh, that year I'd met him in August. And then I, <laughs> promptly emailed this uh, brother that I was talking to and was like, am I being punished for something? Cause like I'm doing all the Jesus stuff and my boyfriend <laughs> just broke up with me. So like, can you explain that to me? And he, uh, <laughs> he wrote back in a very understated way. He said, well, thinking about a breakup in terms of divine punishment may not be helpful. So why don't we meet and talk about some other options? <laughs> So he kind of helped walk me through that. And uh, then I came into the church that April, um, received all of the sacraments. Um, my Mormon grandmother said, you know, it's okay that they feel like they need to rebaptize you. That's, we don't mind that. I said, well, thank you, grandma. So uh, <laughs> my Mormon family was actually very supportive, especially Aww. my grandmother. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the, the short version of the conversion 
Yeah, I love so. I love your story. I love telling it. Obviously, I don't tell it as well as you do. <laughs> I give like the the, the crib notes version. Like, hey, I know this nun, uh, and she's really <laughs> awesome. Um, but I but one of the one of the reasons why I why I like it so much, Sister Diana Marie, is because so many people I think really are genuinely seeking um, the way that you were. That they're looking for things to to just kind of latch on. And I think what what's so beautiful about your story is that even once you once you found the faith, the Lord sent um, the Lord sent other other like landing places, right? Because people people go through RCIA, they they identify you know philosophically with what the what the church teaches, and all of that's very important. Obviously, we're all Dominicans, um, you know, we're going to die for the truth. But but there there's the, there's the kind of there there's the experiential dimensions, community. There's all all, all these things that that other people need as that that people need as well. Right, mm -hmm. and you've you found all of those things too. So I wonder if you could say a little bit about what 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 that community was like. Um, what what was it that you stepped into that allowed your faith to flourish once you became a Catholic? Yeah, um, that's well, that's a very uh, important question to me because I think one of the greatest blessings of becoming Catholic are the friendships that I've been given through it. Um, and I have to say, my first I would say my first uh, sort of community was not really the people around me. I have to say it was very uncomfortable around Christians for, I mean, even when I was becoming Catholic, I was like, well, can I just be Catholic without people like thinking I'm a Christian? Like, blah, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> you can't, by the way, uh, that's not possible. Um, <laughs> but um, the saints became a part of my life really quickly and in kind of almost a tangible way and not in kind of a like sentimental, I like their stories kind of way, but in a um, I don't understand the people around me yet because they're too much like me, <laughs> but, um, but these people have done something that, that I is just undeniably beautiful and incredible. And how do I do that? And then to find out that they're not just stories, but they're actually praying for me, that they sort of desired my holiness. Um, I felt very supported by that. Um, and by our lady, kind of her role as a mother, I was still pretty uncomfortable with the Lord for quite a while because I didn't understand how it wasn't just an obligation. Um, but as I grew into that, my RCA class became very close uh, to one another, which was also wonderful, um, a wonderful thing. We came from all different backgrounds um, and we each kind of had something that we were concerned about in terms of losing community. Am I gonna have a community? What about the friends that I'm letting go of um, from different denominations or from my like very secular background? And we found that in each other first. And then in our parish, we had a wonderful pastor um, at the uh, parish. And um, he created a community at the parish that allowed a lot of different kinds of people to feel like they belonged there. And they were very welcoming as well. Um, and then I, I mean, I can't leave out you all because you were extremely, extremely welcoming. Um, I spent a lot of time up at the House of Studies, because for a while before I got to my RCA classmates, I, I mean, I had no Christian friends at all. Um, and the brother that I was in contact with was like, yeah, just come to stuff, like, just come pray with us. And I just thought it was normal. Like, I thought being Dominican was like normal Catholicism, because I didn't know anything else. I was like, that's weird. Nobody else is at Vespers. Like, where does everybody, I guess they pray with the Franciscans or something, you know? I mean, <laughs> just like a normal thing for Catholics to pray liturgy of the hours mm -hmm. every weekend. Um, 
so that uh was yeah was a bit misleading yeah we locked the doors now so uh <laughs> <laughs> well good you learned you learned something it's nice teachable you know um <laughs> No, but yeah, I, we're I not mean, good at, we're not good at hospitality. Like... So, as you probably learned, <laughs> hospitality is not a Dominican charism. <laughs> I, I mean, I felt like giving me books and and welcoming to, me to prayers was pretty much that's what I needed. You know, I um perfect every once in yeah. a while fed me too, which was nice. So, I remember one of the priests was like, "Do you have anything to eat at home?" And I was like, "No," and he's like, "Just just eat something." Um, so just like very good friends, and I have to say, like. None of the friars, although I know that you're pretty much all smarter than me, um, <laughs> nobody ever like made me feel stupid while I was learning about the faith. Um, I would come in and just like really excited about stuff that most of you all known for years and years. And also, even if you hadn't, you know it like better and more deeply from your studying than I did at the time. Um, and I never had anyone be like, well, yeah, of course, like just blow me off. I, every, I think the brethren were very um, supportive and very excited for me. And that helped me also kind of be uh, courageous about learning more about the faith and wanting to learn more and um, having it be okay that I didn't know. So that was very helpful. Because <laughs> in graduate yeah. school, I think of the opposite experience where they're like, you're in school, but then they're mad at you for not knowing stuff. And you're like, what? I, I don't even know how to... <laughs> to deal with that, you know, and that's not how it was coming to the church. So. Well, that's good. We'll take the compliment. Yeah. So we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So you, okay. So we Mormon, as I said, Mormon, Utah, and then California, and then became Catholic in DC. And now you're in New York with these, this wonderful congregation, the Dominican sisters of Hawthorne. Um, I guess, tell us, Tell us about that. Tell us about them. Tell us about you. Um, you're also, I guess we should say, I didn't say at the top, and um, but you are uh, the new vocation director, at least new from this summer. So yes. um, <laughs> welcome to the to the club. I've retired from that world, but welcome. You know, um, I've done Any I've done my time. <laughs> yeah, I've done my emeritus. Time, so. Emeritus. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, tell us tell us about the community. Tell us about what drew you to the community? One of the things I th I think this was in the novitiate, Father Patrick. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It might be more. No, I think it was. I think it was one of a friar who visited um, that said the reason you enter Dominican life is not the reason you stay. Like you know, you're drawn in, but then that matures or changes over. Yeah. So just tell us what drew you, what you love about your life, and yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Okay. Um. So I didn't think I was going to become a sister because I wanted to get married and have kids, but I knew I needed to discern uh, because I I couldn't stop talking about it or thinking about it. And then you all are really pushy um, in a really <laughs> loving way. But <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's like a year. It's like, why aren't you looking in a religious life? It was like canon law. Like, I'm not allowed to do anything. Like, it's actually canonically not possible. So, um but uh, no, I I felt very drawn to religious life. I mean, you all are very happy. I mean, it's it's just I always enjoyed being around you all. And it's not like every day is a good day. That's not what being happy means. <laughs> but there was kind of a freedom that I saw in you all's life and in the other religious that I met that I thought was uh, very appealing. Um, so I wanted to look. I didn't want to teach. I felt like I should want to teach. And I just... 
I just didn't. And I felt really bad about that. Um, <laughs> and then I went to the cloister and I loved it, but I, I knew it wasn't for me somehow. Um, and then I found out about our community from you all again. So pretty much everything for the past 12 years has been you all's fault. Um, I, I just like, <laughs> I thought, well, if there's a community that doesn't teach and isn't cloistered, uh, I might want to look into that. Uh, my parents have a medical background and so the nursing didn't frighten me. Um, but the thing that caught my attention most was the life of our foundress, who is uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's youngest daughter, also a convert, um, and went from kind of a, a middle upper class life and trying to write and this and that to a life of total dedication to caring for the cancerous poor on the Lower East Side. And uh, her just the fact she was all in uh, was something that I felt like was exactly what my life needed to be. Um, and the fact that she saw her life as living at the foot of the cross and consoling the suffering Christ, um, those had started to come up for me in our CIA as things that I, um, once again, seemed too good to be true, that, that Christ would allow us to do anything to console him, that this, the passion, which was for our sins, was something we could then enter into and somehow comfort him through a life dedicated to him and in any, not just in religious life, but through a holy faithful life. And generally, um, I, uh, I just thought that was so beautiful. And, um, so when I found our community, I was like, oh no, now I have to look because she, I, she sees the community exactly the way that I want to live my life. And so I visited and um, I really enjoyed being around the sisters. Uh, they were very much themselves. I didn't feel like I had to be anyone else because um, that was definitely a fear in religious life. It's like, okay, how do you pretend that you've like been Catholic since you were, you know, three days old and have this whole life? Like, I felt like that's what a sister should be, right? Is like, right. Um, and I was just, I was never going to be that. It was not going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I, I didn't feel that here. And I feel like the... Um, our apostolate lends itself to that because we owe um, the people we care for uh, sincerity. Um, there's no kind of cookie cutter answer. There's no, um, you know, you can't just placate them. You need to be yourself. And that's who God's called to be with that particular person. Um, they need you to be genuine. Um, so I, um, I didn't think I would, I felt like I should keep going till the Lord stopped me. Uh, that seemed fair to him. I was like, you know, you're welcome. I'll do this favor for you. Um, <laughs> and then he just never did. So it's like I kept visiting and then I applied and then they let me in. And I was like, maybe they didn't read the application. Uh, so I guess I'll go anyway because <laughs> they let me in. And then I had student loans. I was like, well, that's never going to get cleared up. And then it did. And so and then I entered. I was like, well, they're never going to let me stay. And then they did. So that's... <laughs> took about three, four years to realize I had a religious vocation here because um, I just kept second guessing it. You know, I wanted proof other than the fact that I was living it every day and loved it. Um, I just didn't trust it. I kept thinking, well, anybody could do this. Everybody wants to be Dominican, which is maybe true. Uh, everybody wants to be a nurse. Everybody wants to work with the dying, but those that's not true. And so the fact that I wanted those things did matter. It just took a long time to kind of accept that. Um, but one thing I loved about entering is that I felt like we offered to the people that the Lord brings to us the same thing I received when I came into the church, which is that um, 
they didn't, we're not waiting for them to be better people before we love and serve them. And right. so there were a lot of things right. that needed to change about my life when I started looking into the church. And that's never what, um, what, you know, this, this brother that we became uh, very good friends with, um, it's never what he led with. Um, he never started with like the list of corrections. It just started with like, you are loved and already. And that's, uh, that's what we do with our, with the people that we take care of. Um, doesn't matter if they're a Catholic or not or practicing or anything. Um, the point is like, you're here and you're loved and whether you ever change or not, whether you have some massive conversion or you just see, or we can't see anything happening at all. First of all, we know God's at work because he always moves first. It's not up to us. But second of all, like we're going to show up every day and love you. And that's just it. Like that's, that's the whole, you know, and I felt like that's what made all the difference for me. So hopefully to offer back um, what I had received. I had heard about Rosary Hill from the brothers and from, from reading about the life of, um, the, the life of uh, mother. And, and so I was expecting something that was completely other than what I found. You know, I thought, oh, it's a cancer hospice, right? And it's going to be a peaceful place and people will be at the end of their lives. Okay, so, you know, so you're, you're sort of conjuring all these things. And some of them were true, but but what I was astonished to find at Rosary Hill was was life. I mean, and abundant life. And the, the <laughs> sisters just you all just it, it exude radiant joy, and it's the most astonishing thing, given the given the kind of work that you're doing. So the so the stories of conversions that the brothers share, that that you the, the sisters share, from Rosary Hill are are just absolutely amazing, and, and I th I think flow out of all that, and and all of that is because of the way that um, the way that prayer is at the at the center of your life. Uh, I mean, that to me, that to me is the, the most delightful thing. You're walking around Rosary Hill, you're, you're minding your own business. And all of a sudden you hear bells because someone is taking communion to a patient or because it's time to run to the chapel or because mass is being broadcast so that patients can tune in, even if they can't make it to the chapel or because you, you almost get run over by a bed because a sister is actually taking a patient to the chapel or you know, any, any number of ways that, that just the Lord is being sought um, fervently, fully, uh, and it, he, he particularly in the Eucharist is just at, at the heart of that community. Um, could you say a little bit about that? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the devotion to the Blessed Sacrament is obviously very Dominican. Um, it was also extremely important to our foundress, uh, Mother Alfonso. Um, She's, I, I think we take frequent reception of the sacraments uh, sort of for granted. Um, maybe not in a, necessarily in a bad way, but that you could receive daily communion if you're in a state of grace and you're able to go to daily mass. It's, it's kind of a, a given in some ways for Catholics today, but she wrote down every time she received communion. She wrote a wow. whole journal entry about the day that we've had first Friday adoration for the first time and what a difference it makes to the home, to the patients. So that was the whole point of wow. bringing the patients in to live with us. We don't go out to serve them. They come to our home, which is why you probably almost got run over by a jury chair at some point, uh, <laughs> because they live with us. They're part of our life. If they could come to mass, they come. If they can come to Vespers, they can. Um, and they can hear it if they can't come. And that's really important. Um, that exchange between the chapel and the apostolate is key to our life as well. So if you're not going to the chapel and spending that time with the Lord, you have very little to offer the patients. And if you're not serving them, 
then you're not living this life. <laughs> so they go together. I think it's certainly not something that comes automatically, but hopefully as we grow in the life that prayer and service are not two separate things that you do with your day and you don't stop one to do the other. Um, so obviously intercessory prayer for our, our patients is extremely important. Um, but a love for the Eucharist is something that drew me to the community as well. Uh, we have um, two holy hours every day. We have all day adoration on Fridays uh, now. Um, whenever there's like an important prayer intention, like for the Little Sisters of Poor, their court case, we had a day of adoration for that. Um, and it's not that you can sit there all day and spend the whole day in the chapel, but there's something about, um, I would say that's one of the best parts of religious life is just knowing that the Lord is is here with us. Like I live in the same house as the Lord. <laughs> um, I love that. Uh, and so it's about like going in and spending what, like five minutes with the creator of the universe. Like that's not a waste of time. That's amazing that we even have that opportunity. Um, and then to take that silence and that quiet and to be able to go back to your your patient that you're taking care of and whether you kind of naturally get along with them or not to be able to see them the way he sees them. I think that's, uh, if you don't have the mass, if you don't have the sacraments, if you're not praying, that's pretty quickly, you're going to run out of your own uh, resources there, especially if you have somebody that you don't have much in common with, or you're not naturally drawn to in terms of personality. Um, you know, that's, that happens and that's, that's okay to not just, it's not a, a fairy tale, right? Where you're just kind of like, oh, I just love everyone because Jesus loves everyone. And so everyone's always easy to get along with because there's all this love. It's like, well, yeah, the love is real. It's there, but you still have to work through that in our personal stuff or the differences in background or just people you're like, I just don't understand you at all because we come from very different backgrounds, you know, or encountering your own weaknesses as you minister to people. Um, that's, that's all okay when you have prayer and the sacraments in your community and your rule to, to support you. But if you're just trying to, to like white knuckle it, I don't, it's, it's not going to last very long. <laughs> so. Doesn't work. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> all right, sister, we have like a, a few, a minute or two left. Any, <laughs> any final thoughts, anything that you want <laughs> the interwebs to know, like burning desires, sear la last wow. kind of thing. Where, yeah. No pressure. Um, <laughs> no pressure at all. Uh, let's see. The only thing that comes to mind is, uh, I guess, just give the Lord the time. I, that, I think that's been something that I found with conversion and entering the convent is that um, we tend to want things right away. Um, but I love nursing and medical analogies for this because. Uh, it makes sense when you look at it in terms of medicine, right? The Lord needs to take care of us, but he needs to do it in a certain time frame. Uh, if a doctor prescribes medicine and you give it to the person all at once, you are a bad nurse. <laughs> like that's poor patient care and you will probably kill someone. Um, so he's never going to give us everything we need all at once. And um, I think just to wait on the Lord, right? That's um, conversion, uh, vocational discernment, um, entering formation, any of that, um, it doesn't all come at once because you're stepping into something that already exists and you have to kind of adjust to that. Um, but that it's all for a purpose, right? Like the Lord's timing is always really, really good. And he's going to answer the questions you have. I think we get afraid that he won't answer our questions. He won't take care of the things we really want. We just have to offer him up. Um, well, he does. He just doesn't 
do it on day one. So he just takes a few years sometimes. Um, and that, that should be okay, right? Because it's our whole life we're giving him. So, yeah. There we have it. Final thoughts. You know, I, I really don't <laughs> like being on guest explaining episodes or like preaching retreats or that sort of thing when sisters are around because they always put me to shame. It's like the way that the way that you all talk about like your love and devotion. And I know it's not all like, you know, idyllic, whatever, but I don't know. There's just like we joke with the friars that like, you know, a sister might any any sister, but, you know, walks up and, you know, she's fundraising and she just has to ask for money. And it's like there she is. You know, people want to give people want to support because there's such a beauty and like a rawness to that. Like the friars are like, get away from me. Like, be gone. You know, like that sort of thing. So thanks. Yeah, thanks. for It's it's just beautiful to listen to you talk about your conversion, about your life, about our Lord. And I hope that other people who tune into the podcast also find that resonate. Yeah, that resonate with them and inspire them to want to strive and, and give and give to the Lord. Um, of their own life. And yeah, I think what you say too about this, it's, it's a, it's a lifetime process, you know, it's not a day one process of continuing to give. There's a real um, also encouragement there, even for me to hear that's, you know, the Lord, it's the Lord's time and he takes and he takes and he takes, but he also gives and he gives and he gives and it's super beautiful. So um, make a little plug here for the Hawthorne Dominicans. Um, for anybody who wants to learn more about them, you can check them out on their website, of course, Hawthorne.Dominicans, sorry, Hawthorne-Dominicans.org. You can also find the vocation page there, uh, Hawthorne-Dominicans.org slash vocations. If any one of you ladies are thinking, considering um, a vocation to religious life, a vocation to serving the dying to Dominican life, I'm sure Sister Diana Marie won't read your application. She'll let you in. She'll trick you, and then you'll get trapped, and you'll be there forever, just like she is. So, you know, and then you'll be on guest planning, and then you'll be on guest planning. Yeah. So, if you want to be on guest planning, become a Hawthorne Dominican. That's basically the path to fame right now. So, um, I forgot to to mention bribery as part of the vocation. Bribery. Yeah. Yeah, You know, it all works. It all works that way. Great. Well, thanks again, Sister Diana Marie, for being on with us. It's great to see you. It's great to hear from you again. So, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having uh, me on to see you all. Yeah, of course. Father Patrick, thank you too for being on. It's really great to have <laughs> you too. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Guest Splaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. All that is super, super helpful for us. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can do that through Patreon and follow uh, by following the link in the description. You can also follow the links in the description to shop Godsplaining merchandise and to get information for upcoming Godsplaining events. Thanks so much for tuning in. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. And until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.